0: Today's passage is Matthew chapter 4, 18 to 22, so if you have a copy of your scriptures and want to turn there or flick your phone on and open your Bible app or whatever it is that you do, um, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. So this is one of those big things come in small packages. It's not a big chunk of scripture that we're going through today. It's a short passage, but there is a lot to unpack here. And I know when I start by saying, oh, this is one of my favorite passages to preach on, you're like, there's, that's not much. <laughs> um, but there is. Uh, there's a lot to unpack. And it's easy to breeze past this part when we're reading because we want to get to the good stuff. I mean, we're in Matthew, so once we get a little bit further, we're getting into Sermon on the Mount and the B attitudes, and it's like, Get me into those parables i want to study I want to study that I want to get into the passion story like that's the good stuff. get me into that, but this part is actually really fascinating and really interesting when you dig into it and understand what's going on. so I urge you when you're doing your own Bible studies and readings not to skip over it. One of the things that just resonated with me as, as Gary was leading us through communion is he made a comment about how God pursues us. And you know he sent Jesus to come after us. And that is a recurring theme in scripture. If you go through and read the Old Testament, it starts in Genesis where God comes down and is in the garden and Adam and Eve are hiding and he calls to them. He's God, he's omnipotent. Does he know where they are? Yeah, probably. But he doesn't go... He doesn't cheat in this game of hide and seek. He calls to them, where are you? And as you read through the Old Testament, when he's interacting with prophets and other leaders, he'll show up and call to them. They'll hear their name called, here I am, Lord. He, he seeks after them. And we're going to see that continue to play out as we're reading through this. So in this passage, we've all likely seen those Jesus movies. One, maybe several Who knows how many you've probably seen. But when we read through this passage, if you've seen any of those, you can probably visualize to some degree this scene playing out. Because it's always done pretty similarly. You have Jesus walking down the beach. His hair is blow-dried. He's in a white bathrobe and a blue sash. He's probably Swedish. And he's getting ready to find his soon-to-be disciples. Now, I'm a movie nerd, if you didn't know that about me. I own several hundred movies. I do still have VHS tapes. Phil has rented movies from Corey's personal blockbuster. Um, I have a lot. I watch a lot of movies. Um, and in every good movie, there's that character who exists for pretty much the sole purpose of exposition, So that's the part that I'm going to play today. I'm I'm the exposition character in today's message. I feel like this scene of Jesus on the beach calling his disciples becomes a lot more engaging when we have the context of the time and the culture and understand more what's going on. Because I don't know about you, but when I read this passage before some of my deeper studies into it, it always seemed really odd that this guy would just show up out of nowhere, call these guys to get out of their boat and go follow him. And they're just like, okay. And they just do. There's no conversation. There's no, who's who's the guy? Why are we? Especially when you get to the second set of brothers who it specifically says are fishing with their father. They're not just leaving their stuff. They And if you watch the movies with Swedish Jesus, they jump out of the boat, leave their dad there, and go follow this guy. And it's always been like, that's, what? I mean, me and my dad don't fish. That's never been a big part of our family thing. But if I'm out somewhere, I'm sorry, Phil. I'm disappointing gays so early on in the morning. I'm so sorry. But... If me and my dad were out doing something that we do, and some random guy showed up and was like, hey, you should come follow me, I'd be like, no, good, good here. Um, and that's not just because I'm an introvert, it's because it's that's weird. So this this scene always seemed weird, but there's some things that can help understand why this played out the way that it did. So at this time in history, the Jewish school system is all religious studies. And when I say religious studies, I mean they memorize their scriptures. Jewish children at this time went to school and they memorized the Torah. First five books of the Bible. Anybody remember off the top of the heads what books those are? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. Yeah, we got all five books memorized. That was, that was school. And they had that done by about the age of 10. Anybody know any current 10-year-olds who can recite the first five books of the Bible by heart? Side. That's impressive. Um, at this point, around the age of 10, most kids were dismissed from their studies and they were sent home to learn the family business. However, the best and the brightest were kept in school to keep going. And by the age 14 or 15, they would have the entire Hebrew scriptures Genesis through Malachi memorized. Who's still proud of their ability to memorize their couple of life verses? So at this point, the best and brightest of those would then apply to follow a rabbi. This was their job interview. They would apply to learn from a rabbi with the goal of being to become like that rabbi. That was the goal. They found a rabbi who they liked that rabbi's teaching. They liked the way that rabbi did what they did. They're like, I want to do that. So they would go disciple under that rabbi so they could carry on doing the work that that rabbi did. The rabbi would grill them and test them and decide to either send them home, be like, I'm I I don't think you can do what I do. You should go home and learn the family business. Or, if the rabbi thought the job interview went well and wanted to offer them the position as a disciple, they would end the conversation with, come follow me. And if the rabbi said, come follow me, that's what you did. Rabbis were, I mean, this, this was the job that everybody wanted. This is what you aspired to be. This is like, you know, kids now being, you should go to college and be a doctor or a lawyer. You know, That's what this was at the time. So if the rabbi thought that you could carry on doing what they were doing, and if they extended you the offer to follow them, you left everything and literally followed them. This was not a nine to five job where you would go home, you wake up in the morning, go clock in, be with the rabbi for the day, and then go home for dinner. No, that's not what this was. You You left everything and you followed the rabbi, literally followed the rabbi around. Absorbed everything the rabbi did, did life with the rabbi so that eventually you could do what the rabbi did. That was the goal of being a disciple. Okay, so there's your context of the time and place. Enter Jesus. Jesus, despite being fully God, was also fully man, and he grew up in this society, and as far as we know, he was entered into and was a part of all the same cultural norms. We've got to remember, before Jesus was known as Savior and Messiah, he was just another little Jewish boy. The plan, at least the one that Mary and Joseph would have, would be for their little Jesus to go to school with everyone else because that's what she did. So pause for a second and just think about how that plays out. Jesus, fully God, while being fully man, now in school, learning from rabbis and other teachers, learning with the most obnoxious air quotes you can give it. That, that's a scene. I would love to see that movie. Where's, where's that? On the one hand... It could be really hard for us to believe that our Jesus was not a star pupil, after all. He was one with God, and he was present when everything in Scripture was happening. And I, for one, don't believe his memorization skills of the material would have been an issue. Probably would have been top of the class for knowing what was in there. I want to go back to a story... Shared in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, they're following all the cultural norms of the time. They go to Jerusalem for Passover because that's what you did. They're there for Passover, they head home, and then, after a day of traveling, do the whole okay, we left with that kind of I think we left our kid. It's home alone from 2,000 years ago. I, we had, there was another, we had the, sh- the short one when we left. We got to go back. So they traveled for a day without him. So that means it probably takes a day to get back. And then it's three more days of searching before they find him. So Jesus is in this setting with these people for a, several days, good amount of time. People were amazed and astonished at his understanding and his ability to speak to these things and the questions he was asking. People are noticing there's something about this kid pretty early on. As many of us know, there's a chunk of Jesus' life that we don't have a record of. They're known as his lost years. And most scholars believe that he was working with Joseph, learning the family trade. Has anybody else heard that? We have this lost chunk of time, and that's when Jesus was probably with Joseph, learning from Joseph. Makes sense. Most of us accept that. If that's true, that means that Jesus was not considered one of the best and brightest. Maybe he just didn't show an interest in continuing school. You know, he's already got it. I don't really need to. I don't need to keep doing this. Um, maybe his teachers didn't like the ideas and the interpretations he was sharing. In any case, if he did, in fact, go home and work with Joseph, it means that he did not seek to become a disciple of any rabbi. He again followed the cultural norm of my my schooling's over. Whether I've been told my schooling's over or I've chosen to not go shadow a rabbi. He's doing the cultural norm of I go home and shadow the family business. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Gary shared the story of Jesus' baptism. John was proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God. The people were primed and ready for the conquering Messiah to appear. Jesus' baptism was a public spectacle with a heavenly sign. I'm sure that got people talking. Here comes the carpenter's son. Here comes that guy that didn't finish school. Here comes the carpenter's apprentice who never even discipled under a rabbi. So like I mentioned, Gary shared that story. For anyone who wasn't here, I just want to read the verses. So that was back in Matthew chapter 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, social media didn't exist. People couldn't, you know, tweet about it or make a TikTok video. But, come on, that's a... (laughs) Hashtag dumb, hashtag God. No, there's none of that. So, all it is is word of mouth. But John had a substantial following. It's not like Jesus just showed up and it was just him and John and John baptized him in a special little quiet baptism no there's there's always people there people came to be baptized they also came to listen to John preach he he had a following John had his own disciples he had people who were there so there were people there when Jesus was baptized people saw this and if this heavenly sign and everything if John's been proclaiming this Messiah is coming and Jesus shows up and people hear and see John say no, you're the one who's supposed to baptize me i'm not so he puts up that fight that Gary painted the picture of where John doesn't want to, but Jesus kind of talks him into it. And then the heavens open, and a dove comes down, and a voice from heaven speaks. You think people aren't going to talk about that? Come on. We don't change that much in 2,000 years. The way that we share information changes, but we're, we're wired to say, we talk, we gossip. That story gets around. Historically speaking, just for some context... It's believed that Jesus was likely baptized in the summer of 26. It's a weird way to hear the year, but 26. After the baptism, we have the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan in Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. And then in verses 12 through 16, we're told that Jesus goes to live in Capernaum, and verse 17 says, from that time on, he began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Many scholars believe that Jesus called his disciples in the summer of 27. That timeline means that Jesus spent a year starting his ministry. And I think we lose that when we're just talking, when we just read the story. It's like, okay, Jesus got baptized. He goes into the desert and is tempted by Satan. And then he moves to Capernaum. And then he goes, finds his disciples. it didn't happen that fast. Jesus spent a year approximately, starting his ministry. He starts to teach. He starts to preach. We have to remember that he didn't towel off from being dunked in the Jordan and then go round up his disciples. He started his ministry, and he stepped into his role as a rabbi. So getting back into our central verse for today, verse 18 As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. I want to skip over to verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets when Jesus called them. Looking at verse chapter 4, verse 18. Found Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, they were fishermen. They were not fellow rabbis. They were not discipling under another rabbi. They were fishermen. Verse twenty one, when he finds James and John, they were fishermen, not teachers, not students, they were fishing. With their father. They were learning the family business. These were the ones deemed not to be the best and brightest. These were the ones who were not accepted as potential spiritual leaders. They were the ones that other rabbis had looked at and said, I don't don't think you can do this work. You should go home. Verse 19, if you have a red letter, Bible, or app, you'll notice that it's Jesus' words. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So Jesus has been actively ministering for a year now. He's got this new radical message of love and the coming kingdom of God, and that was already spreading. He is becoming known as a rabbi, and a teacher, and a prophet, and a miracle worker. When he shows up, he calls these men, these B-squad players, as a rabbi calls to a bright young pupil, come follow me. Another thing to know is that only the most radical rabbis called their own disciples that was not the standard order of things. The way things were supposed to go is you did your schooling, and then when the people in charge of your schooling decided you were good enough to try to follow a rabbi, you would go and apply. You would ask the rabbi, Rabbi, can I follow you? Would you allow me to follow you? Can I be your disciple? And this rabbi is now going to all the not-good-enoughs and calling them to follow. He's telling them with that call that he believes they can do the work he is doing. That he thinks that they can be like him. So it always seemed odd to me that they would drop their nets and go to suddenly leave their father and leave their life behind. But when you have all of this context... That makes sense. If you had a dream, something that society told you, this is the goal, this is what you want to be, and when you were 10, 12, 14, you were told, no, you're, you're not good enough to do that. Go, you're going to go do this thing. And then a new expert in that field shows up and is like, you wanted to do this? I'll show you how to do it. Wouldn't wouldn't you go? That's what's happening. That's what's happening here. So with all of that in mind, we're gonna skip not quite as far as I just turned. We're gonna to skip to the end of Matthew. Going to Matthew twenty eight verses sixteen through twenty. Anybody remember off the top of your head what this passage is called? Great commission. That's right. This is the last thing that Jesus tells his closest disciples to do. And in verse 19, he says, Go and make, what? Disciples of all nations. The rabbi has now bestowed the work onto his disciples. They are now the rabbis and they are tasked to go make disciples. Notice that they're called to make disciples. They're not called to make connections with people, to build their network. They're not called to make acquaintances. They're not called to just go make some friends. They're not even called to go make believers doesn't say, go make believers of all nations. It says, go make disciples of all nations. A disciple is someone who the rabbi says, I can teach you to do what I do. And the disciple wants to be like the rabbi. So, to those of us who are believers... My question is, are you a disciple? Do you long to follow Jesus? Not just believe in him, but to follow him, to learn from him, to model your life after him, to do the work your rabbi did, to do the work your rabbi does, to do the work your rabbi continues to do, to do the work that he modeled in today's passage, and to do what he calls his disciples to do? That's a heavy question. But if the answer is yes, then if we want to be a disciple, our goal is to do what the rabbi did. And one of the things that we're seeing play out here, that we've seen happen throughout scripture, is that we don't wait for people to come to us. We have to go to them. We have to call out to them. We have to invite them in. And we have to show that we have faith in them. That's part of the story that I think gets missed a lot. Jesus is calling these guys to be his disciples. And if a radical rabbi is calling you to be a disciple, it means I think you can do what I do. And if you're going to look at somebody and be like, I want you to follow me. I want you to do life with me. I'm going to pour myself into you so you can do everything you see me doing. That means you've got some faith in that person and their abilities to actually do that. We're called to be disciples. We're here because we have faith in God, but we also need to keep in mind that with that call to become disciples, Jesus has faith in us and our abilities to do what disciples are called to do. With all of that being said, when compared to the truth of the Great Commission, when compared to the truth of what being a disciple really means, maybe we can find the strength and the courage to model some of Jesus' radical behavior and do something as simple as extend people an invite That's not hard. In fact, it's probably one of the easiest things that Jesus did for us to model. I think it's going to be a lot easier than attempting to, you know, go walk on water, or raise the dead. I'm not, I'm not yet faithful in my abilities to do that. Uh, but if my rabbi can see somebody and be like, you should come along with me. I should be able to do that.